For the last few weeks, we've been going through um, a little series we've been calling uh, The Prayers Jesus Prayed. And we've been looking at the Psalms because Jesus was um, a Jewish boy and he would, was brought up in the synagogue and he would have learnt, like all of the Jews, these prayers. The Psalms are a collection of, Jesus, of the Jewish songs and hymns and poems and prayers that formed the people of God. This is the way they taught each other to pray. And effectively, they offered a spectrum of prayers that dealt with almost every human emotion we could imagine. From joy to hate, anger, fear, it's just all there. And today, we want to look at the invitation of the Psalms for us to be or to learn to be a people of praise. So here's Psalm 8 again. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic your... your <laughs> Let me start again. I've, been, I've grown up on a different version. <laughs> o Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. It sounds like Max Licato is not the first to look up at the stars, doesn't it? It sounds like he's not the first to be filled with wonder and awe at everything God has made, indeed, at the endlessness of it. There is, there has always been a close connection between creation and praise. In fact, the Bible tells us in numerous different ways that all of creation is in constant praise of God. And it's our job to join in. This particular psalm um, builds up something of a picture of God as the creator. He is majestic. Some of these translations talk about not the majesty in these two bookends. You'll have noticed there's the bookend um, on this psalm, um, this declaration of Yahweh's majesty. Some translations talk about Yahweh's sovereignty in this. And then we have Yahweh building up walls around creation. How? 
through the praises of children. Isn't that remarkable? The thought that God is building something vital in the universe through the praises of us. I wonder what would happen if we took that to heart. I wonder how we'd sing. I wonder what we'd sing. This, what we do when we sing God's praises or when we worship God, is we build a wall that, according to this psalm, keeps out God's enemies. Isn't that remarkable? Absolutely remarkable. It makes me think we're doing something perhaps a little more important than I usually feel like we're doing when we come here on Sunday morning. Or it makes me think I'm doing something more important than I usually think I am when I look at the night sky and wonder at how small I am or can't see the end of the ocean or walk to the end of the mountains. Somehow, in all God has done, our smallness should inspire our praise for God's majesty. This is the Southern Cross. Um, it's probably a sharper picture than you'll see most nights if you look out um, from the ground without a scope. This is taken through a scope. Every time I look at it, I think of um, I, I, I think of what I know about this constellation. It should be pretty easy for most of you to spot tonight. The top star in the cross is 88 light years away from us. I don't know what got into scientists when they said to themselves, let's link the speed of light with years and that will make it easier for people to understand this kind of distance. Um, it doesn't make it any easier for me at all. In fact, it leaves me completely, completely baffled. 88 light years, um, that's um, someone who lives a long time, that's them travelling at the speed of light for their whole lives, arriving at this top star and dying of old age. This bottom star, um, this is the alpha star they call in this constellation in the Southern Cross. It is 125 light years away. Sorry, 125 light years away. That's right. So 88 at the top, 125 at the bottom. The one on um, our, our left is... 257 light years away. So you would have to send a family over a few generations of travelling at the speed of light to get there. 
And then the final one on the right is 360 light years away. So there you go, it's all clear. I wonder if that makes you feel small. Perhaps on a whole lot of levels. Um, one, we can't get there. There are things we, at this stage in humanity, we just can't do. So we can only look there and, and really wonder at the size and distance that this kind of expresses. It certainly makes me feel small and it certainly makes me wonder about the God who is behind creating all of this. And then there's this photo. Because the Southern Cross are the close stars in this photo, isn't, aren't, they? aren't they? And it makes me wonder, um, I look up and I see this shape in the night sky anytime I want to, and the clouds aren't there. So from my point of view, my angle on all of this, they always look like that. Maybe they're upside down at times, and, but the, the shape is always there. Yet, these stars are so far from one another that they have no relationship with one another at all in reality. They are hundreds of light years apart from each other let alone opening up the conversation of that background of stardust. Does it make you feel small? Does it make you wonder what on earth God is doing, looking down on you and caring? It certainly, certainly did for the psalmist. And how many of us? have read Psalm 8 and said to ourselves, I get it. I too am blown away by the bigness of God's imagination. By the extraordinary result of God's speaking this world into existence. You know, Psalm 8 is one of, the, one of the psalms that the early church looked at and saw Christ. Let me show you. This is from Hebrews chapter 2. In one place, the scripture says, What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Or a son of man that you should care for him. Yet for a little while you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position 
a little lower than the angels, he became human. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honour. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. Isn't that remarkable? This, you see, this, this psalm talks about God's sovereignty in these bookends, but in the middle, it talks about people being given power in creation. Sometimes I think we splash around the idea that, you know, God is sovereign over everything as though all power is God's. That is not your story. That is not the Christian story. Yes, God is definitely, unquestionably, the most powerful. But, you know, from the very beginning of the story of, that we tell as Christians, God gave power to us. If you think God has all power... You think you and I have none. But what if God has dared to give us power in this world? One of the first implications of that, of course, is that we have the capacity to love. If you and I have no power and no influence, we are puppets doing whatever God wants us to do. There is only one power and we don't have it. But you and I have been given the capacity to choose. We have been made only a little lower than the angels. And what does Jesus do? He comes into our world and according to Hebrews, he also takes the place only a little lower than angels in order to win us back. Certainly there is a part of this psalm that asks us to wonder, to be amazed, to look again at the bigness and glory of God. But when the early church read this psalm, they were reminded of the one who also became a little lower than the angels and then died on a cross, revealing the glory of God. We run very, very quickly to the resurrection as the revealing of the glory of God and I wouldn't play that down for a moment but you know when John 
as he opened his gospel, talked about the glory that we have seen among us. He insisted that this was the whole story. It was all those miracles, all those extraordinary moments that baffled people. It was all those teachings, all those parables. It was his willingness to die on behalf of others, revealing the remarkably humble, gracious and loving heart of God. And from there, it was the resurrection, all of it, revealing on a bigger scale than we had ever imagined the heart of the God that you and I are created in the image of. Why do you think Jesus asks you over and over again to love God and love your neighbour in a thousand different ways in the Gospels? Because that is your destiny. That is what you were created to do. If God, God's glory is revealed in this one who came into this world and behaved in this way, if that is true, then your glory, your power, will find its fulfilment. Your call will find its fulfilment as you follow after this one. Why is John so amazed at the beginning of that gospel at seeing the glory of God in Jesus? Why? Because in seeing this glory, we see what God is calling us to as those who would follow. You will find your ultimate fulfillment as you give of yourself. How do we know that? Because you are created in the image of the one who came and perfectly, perfectly reflected the heart of God into our world and did it by giving of himself for others. That's how you and I know what we were made to be. That is the glimpse of reality that Jesus offers us. So look around you. You will see people who give of themselves on many, many levels, and I hope you see many of them in the church. When you do, I want you to remember that they're doing what they were created to do.
That's why Jesus can ask us to serve, can show us what love is on the cross and ask us to follow. That's why Jesus dares to ask us to take up our cross and follow him. Because this is what the heart of the universe is like. The only remaining question is will you follow this heart or one of the lesser hearts that this world will offer you? Jesus, will you be gracious enough to open our eyes to your majesty and your glory that we would know what it is to be faithful to the very heart of the universe revealed in your son's life, death and resurrection. May we see well so that we can follow well. Amen. The Psalms are, before anything else, a response. So we're going to give you opportunity to respond. The song is an opportunity for you to respond to this staggering love that Jesus displayed. There are moments inviting you to meditation on the Psalms because worship is far, far bigger than singing songs. So whatever you need to do, the invitation now is for you to respond to the majesty and glory of God.